Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious lolly Focus Pops or lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Hey guys, Press Gallery host Emma Graney here with another quick reminder to subscribe. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, and in very exciting news, we are now also on Spotify. Hooray! Add us to your favorite, I don't know, cooking playlist or something that you have. I'm sure you would love to hear our, our voices as you slice onions for your supper. Um, and do leave us a, a five-star rating if you like what you hear. Tell your friends about us. As always, any questions, comments, or concerns, do reach out to me, egraney at postmedia.com, or you can tweet me at Emma L. Graney. Enjoy this week's episode. Hello and welcome to the Press Gallery, the Edmonton Journal's politics podcast. I am your host, Emma Graney. I'm provincial affairs reporter here. It is Friday, March 8, 2019, and this is the Carbon Tax and Creeps edition. With me today, my legislative colleague, Claire Clancy. Hello. Hello. Claire Clancy wore inappropriate footwear this morning. I did, and I walked in snow, and now my feet are cold, but it's my own fault, and I have no one to blame. <laughs> but yourself. But it's like your mom's we're, inner voice. Yeah, we're under a snowfall warning. <laughs> yeah. Clancy wore, like, slip-on I know. I was an idiot. I just wasn't thinking about it. I do have amazing boots. I don't know why I didn't wear them this morning, and I really regret it. And Emma saw my sad face as soon as we walked into the office. <laughs> Uh, Keith Duran, how are your feet this morning, political columnist? They are delightful, <laughs> as am I. Yeah? Delightful. 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 Wow. I wore my boots. <laughs> Good job. I'm smart. Well, screw you. <laughs> <laughs> and education reporter, Jenna French, how are you? I wore my thickest boots, and then I keep shoes under my desk. Actually, I have multiple pairs of shoes under my desk, so I can change into them in the office. Me too. Because organized. Because that way, your feet don't overheat and get all sweaty when you're sitting at your desk in Yeah, your but snow really, boots. nothing can rival Emma's shoe collection. Collection in her in her that's true you have it great is shoes. Epic. i do have, I have a lot nothing. of pairs of high heels in my office yeah. okay so <laughs> yeah you never know what you're going to be feeling you know yeah let's footwear more politics well all the other way around no let's just do this <laughs> <laughs> okay let's talk about politics today brought janet on here because janet and i worked on a series about the carbon tax, carbon tax. so we're going to talk about that and how, it's basically about how the carbon tax has been spent in alberta since it was brought in on january 1 2017 also we're going to be talking a creepy video from the ucp and the fallout on that we're also going to be talking about a host of new policies that have been unveiled uh, as we head towards the election We've got some creeps who caused uh, a thing called Claire's Law that the UCP wants to bring in. We're talking cutting red tape. 
We're talking vaccinations and we're talking getting rid of the flat tax. Well, getting rid of the getting the rid of the flat. The point is the UCP don't want a flat tax anymore. There we go. I said that beautifully. <laughs> Good job, Emma. Keep it up. Uh, thanks for support, guys. Appreciate it. Um, <laughs> just all staring at you like, You're staring at me like who is this idiot hosting our podcast? <laughs> Janet, I want to talk about our carbon tax feature first. Well done to both of you, first of all. That was a lot of work and it was an amazing oh, series. Thank you, yeah. Guys. And if so anyone sweet. who hasn't read it yet really should get into it, and there was so much interesting information in that. Math is fun. For you, are yeah. Fun. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, love them. What do you yeah. want to know? What should we so, talk about? So, um, I'll give you a quick rundown of why we did what we did. Uh, so, basically, we're like, hey, that, that old carbon tax. That old chestnut. That old chestnut. What's that been spent on anyway? Um, and actually, it was last year that I was asking for a list of all of the projects funded by Energy Efficiency Alberta. So, we're talking your light bulbs, your, you know, your windows, your... Insulation, Solar installation, showerheads. Don't forget the showerheads. Shower oh, never forget the showerheads. God forbid. <laughs> um, so I was wondering where, where exactly there were people in Alberta were buying those. Like, where are the people located who were getting them? And then that kind of expanded into, wait a second, that whole carbon tax. What's up with that? Basically, is the summary of what I asked for. So we asked for a whole list. I wanted to know every single program and what we got back about a month and a half later, was an insane spreadsheet that Janet French, because she's amazing, crunched the data and we <laughs> and then we did a big old series about it. Janet, what are some of the most interesting things and can you summarise what you um, found Yes, out? I can do it in 50 words. Yeah, no, nice. I cannot, I cannot. Um, <laughs> 50 seconds, I'll lie. give you 50 seconds. <laughs> um, I would say... Okay. Well, what we found out was basically how much money has come in thus far up to the end of the last fiscal year and where they have either spent or allotted the money. And so um, some of the interesting things sort of proportion-wise were that the carbon tax makes up probably about three quarters of the revenue coming into the Climate Leadership Program and money from big emitters makes up the rest, about a quarter of the rest. And so uh, now there's questions about whether people believe that the carbon tax dollars themselves are specifically earmarked for these programs. We can get into that later. Mm -hmm. But uh, as far as the the UCP does not. Mm -hmm. (laughs) As far as the government sees it and the law sees it. They do. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, As far as the government and the law sees it, the money comes in and then goes out to various programs. And so the money from the carbon tax can only be used for three things, according to the law. Um, One is anything that will help reduce emissions. Uh, Another is anything that helps basically offset um, the burden of the carbon tax on people who can least afford to pay it. And the third thing is paying for the cap on the electricity market. Um, And so actually, the number one expense that we have seen so far has been on paying for carbon tax rebates to consumers. The number two expense so far has been offsetting the small business tax. So there was a a reduction in the small business tax rate from 3% to 2%. That was supposed to help small businesses adapt to paying additional costs as the carbon tax was phased in. And some of the other major expenses would be uh, big transit projects, but also there was a lot of money spent kind of all across the province in programs that may not immediately leap to mind that may not have generated big announcements like 
agricultural societies and um, like pulp and paper mills that are using their scrap or their waste to produce bioenergy and lots and lots of small towns doing energy retrofits on their buildings, solar panel installation, um, replacing all the all the lights, LED lights. Even there's a huge project along Anthony Hande Drive in Edmonton where they replaced all of the, the lights with LEDs, but not only LEDs, but smart LEDs that can monitor their own use and then report back to a system electronically and really like a, a much a wider plethora of programs that I think anybody really ever imagined. And just to give a scope of it, there were it, there the reason it's so hard to figure out exactly where they went just you know with a simple question is that these programs are being managed by 15 different government ministries. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and when we got that when we got that data sheet back, it was big. It was long. Like yeah, it's about so 2,000 lines. I mean, yeah, I did a project lines. on class sizes that had, oh God, where that the was... data sheet had about 200,000 lines in yeah, Excel. So ridiculous. this one was like, this is nothing. This is nothing. <laughs> this is easy. Yeah. What really stuck out to me is this, just the sheer number of projects across Alberta and how geographically spread out they were. Because you hear about the Calgary Green Line, you hear about the Edmonton LRT. LRT. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I remembered a project in St. Albert about transit. Of course, you know about the rebates. But the other stuff, like... I mean, I work at the ledge full time, for God's sake, and I didn't even know about these projects. Like, I, I learned town names from this project. Yeah, <laughs> me never too. Heard of before. <laughs> there were like 300 communities and agencies, so um, and some First Nations organizations as well. That was another really interesting aspect that we did that I did write about is um, that about 2.5 percent of the total money so far has gone to reserves and places where, I mean, technically the provincial government is not beholden to fund projects in these places. That's Mm -hmm. really federal government jurisdiction. I should mention part of the reason that it felt important to cover this now was that this is obviously a huge election issue coming up to the election, whenever it may be. Um, This is something that the UCP are pledging to get rid of, of course. Bill 1 will be, you know, axe the carbon tax. I hope they call the bill that because, you know, it rhymes and I'm a big fan of rhyming bills. Um, But so obviously this is something that the UCP is going to be bringing up again and again because people, generally speaking, don't like taxes. They just don't. Like that's not just an Alberta-specific thing. That's a thing all over the world. Um, I spoke with a political scientist about that very idea of why is it that people kind of hate this thing and why don't they see the connection between what they're paying, you know, extra for gas and the solar panels on their local pool, for example. And she was like, look, honestly, people just hate paying for gas the world over. And she told me that in Sweden, for example, they wanted to bring in a carbon tax or they were bringing in something, basically a tax on fuels that would go to green projects. And even people in Sweden, which is quite a, you know, open to taxation, socialist kind of country, even they hate paying it. So what hope does Alberta have really to try and sell this? But Keith, I want to pick your brains here politically. Mm -hmm. Um, This is obviously going to be a huge issue going into the election. Yeah. Well, it's been a big issue. It's been the UCP's number sure, one yeah. issue for pretty much three years and, and its legacy parties as well. So th- that's going to continue, uh, obviously, up until the election. I-, I think what this does is provide some context, though, like despite the grumbling, and there has been a lot of grumbling about the carbon tax. A lot of communities have taken up the benefits that it's provided, right? So all those programs uh, to install solar panels, energy efficient lights, to do energy audits and so you can learn what else you need to do at, on your municipal buildings or your recreation centers to, to improve the, the energy efficiency even further. All of that has had really good take up across 
across the province, communities have benefited. And so because of that, they're lowering their emissions, they're lowering their costs, right? And over time, they'll pay for those solar panels. Uh, and then they will have uh, savings in which they can reinvest in other programs, potentially even provide tax relief to to those communities. So to me, it, it's really smart. The question is, is whether that message gets out to voters in time for the election. I don't know that it will. It's a, it's a harder argument to make. The government, uh, the NDP, I think, bears a lot of responsibility for this. They have not done a good job of selling that on a very local level and making the connection, as you said, between the gas tax uh, or the heating the heating fuel tax that people pay going into the solar panels on their on their local rec- recreation center. Hey, do you remember like when uh, the Stephen Harper government was doing all that infrastructure investment and it was there were those Canada's action plan or Canada's economic action plan signs everywhere? Did they need like Alberta's carbon tax plan? Did they need those signs on these projects? I, I like I do think it's so interesting that we've been I've been at the ledge now over a year, like 18 months, and it's so crazy how little we knew about what the tax was being spent on apart from those huge infrastructure projects. And um, yeah, I think it speaks to kind of a failure in terms of marketing of this policy plan. Um, For voters, I do think it's really important to actually understand how the tax works and where it's being spent because this will be a defining issue of uh, casting your ballot. But yeah, I just think what a shame that this is something we're just learning about really now. And energy efficiency, Alberta, right? The light bulbs, the shower heads, you guys, I think, found out that there's been 10 million of these items that have been sold in stores across the province. So even on an individual level, people are taking up the chance to to get these things. Jason Kenney has basically hinted this week that he would shut down Energy Efficiency Alberta, which monitors that or uh, administers that I'd program. I'd go one step further and say he said it would be it, it qu- would. Gone. Gone. It, gone. So, yeah, so, he's going to shut that down. Right. Get your so, energy efficient light bulbs. Well, you can, Alberta, right. I guess. So people thinking that some vestige of this might stay around under a UCP government, that's not likely to be the case. This is probably going to disappear entirely. It seems a bit of a shame, right? Whether you feel like a, a carbon tax is appropriate or not, and, and whether that's the best way to pay for solar panels and, and energy efficient light bulbs or not, that's one thing. But it seems a shame to kind of to, to just entirely scrap all the work that's been done at this point. Well, and yeah, I spoke to David Dodge, uh, board chair for Energy Efficiency Alberta yesterday, and he was kind of making the argument that regardless of where the funding comes from, um, these energy efficient programs uh, should be maintained because Alberta was one of the last provinces to bring in this type of... It was the last North American jurisdiction. Well, there you go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Not even just province, but yeah. like... To bring in something like this. The island was ahead of us. (laughs) Wow. And so to say that we were that far behind, I think that, you know, the point he was making was regardless of where the funding comes, these are important programs. And yeah, I think that's interesting and worth taking a look at. In fairness, though, so uh, I mean, Jason Kenney has said because he doesn't necessarily believe that the carbon tax money flowing in is connected directly to the money being spent on. He's he highlighted infrastructure projects. He didn't really uh, categorize it as emissions reductions project, but he has said, oh, any of the infrastructure projects or infrastructure projects will still go ahead regardless of whether or not there is a carbon tax. It's not a necessary, it's not a necessary component of funding such kinds of infrastructure projects. Yeah, but this is an infrastructure. This well, stuff, th- right? that is what I might argue if I were having a face-to-face conversation with him. But you know, <laughs> uh, but I think a, a, another interesting part, though, is that um, when although they ha- UCP has not released its environment plan yet, um, he's certainly hinting 
that they may be heading back towards the kind of plan that the PCs had in 2008, which was a focus on technology and carbon sequestration, Mm -hmm. carbon capture. (laughs) Sorry, no one says sequestration sequestration. on the radio. (laughs) Um, Carbon capture technologies and just focusing on big emitters. And I mean, that sounds like the plan from 11 years ago. So I'd be interested to hear more details about about that. I spoke with Jason Nixon about this, who's the UCP House leader, and he said, well, you know, projects have been funded before the carbon tax was around and they will continue to be funded if we win and there's no carbon tax kind of thing. But when I said, but what about these projects in rural Alberta? And he was like, you know, the way he answered that was, well, if it's between us and the NDP in rural Alberta, we'll win every time because we're better for rural Alberta than the NDP. But we actually talked to people who, this is shocking, sit down, who liked the carbon tax in rural Alberta. Mm-hmm. I'm just thinking about, um, you know, the the guy in charge of Parks and Recreation and Black Diamond. Yeah, big fan. Um, he was like, I've been into energy efficiency for a long time. I've applied for different grants and projects long before this this particular, you know, arm of funding was around. And like, yeah, this is this is giving us more money. And it's it's good for everybody, he said, because local people have, you know, better access to their facilities and we can keep the prices down for local people if, we ha- if we're able to invest in this kind of thing and keep our energy consumption costs down. Yeah, so I guess we'll um, wait and see what the UCP end up unveiling for their environment slash carbon emission reduction We've only been waiting plan. three years. Like, yeah. Let's hear it. Okay, but do we really need well. any more platform announcements this week? Are we not running <laughs> fast is, enough? That is one I would make time for. Because <laughs> <laughs> That's a wonderful segue. Janet, I will say goodbye to you. Thank you so much for coming in to chat Carbon Tax. Thanks, because I'm sure that you're not totally and utterly sick of it. I love it. <laughs> Thank you so much, Janet. We will now replace you with Dave Breckenridge. Hello, Breck. Hi. How are you? I'm good. It's good. How was your commute this morning? Snowy. Huh? Awful. <laughs> Just awful. So, Janet, before she left us, Janet, um, had a good segue there. Policy. There has been lots so more policy, policy announcements this week. This week has been nutty. Yeah. It's been nutty for policy announcements. And there's another one coming from the UCP again this afternoon. We're recording this on Friday. <laughs> another one coming. So, Clancy, quick rundown. Um, so, what have we had? <laughs> so, I guess the week started with uh, UCP leader Jason Kenney announcing a corporate tax cut. Um, so, by 2022, the plan is to cut corporate taxes from 12 to 8 percent. Um, obviously, that was a big policy announcement. Yep. We also had... Um, yeah, cut corporate tax from 12 to 8% over four years. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we also had um, his announcement on red tape reduction, uh, which I covered, uh, where he basically talked about um, appointing... We knew that he was going to appoint an associate minister responsible for red tape reduction. His goal is to, uh, within the first term of a UCP government, cut red tape by... A third, um, and it kind of goes off of uh, policies in British Columbia uh, that he says have been very successful. They want to have a one-in, one-out rule, which means that um, if you know government officials propose a regular regulatory policy, they would have to cut one in order to not um, kind of layer on these regulations that he says have been bogging down Alberta for you know 30, 40, 50 years. Mm-hmm. Then yesterday we had a domestic violence announcement by the UCP. They want to start something called Claire's Law based based on a UK law um, in which a, a, a woman or, or man um, can ask about the criminal history of their partner if they think that was kind of abusive in some way. Um, also, 
um, increased by two million bucks money for electronic monitoring of criminals who are serving community sentences, and also as part of that was kind of bring in tougher. Um, repeat offender laws that have a federal and provincial component. Didn't get into the weeds on that, unsure on the details. What else? We had Alberta Party as well? So, yeah, the Alberta Party came out with a platform promise. And, you know, we haven't seen many from them, I think. Uh, This was kind of the first big one that I can recall. Um, But they want to make vaccinations mandatory for kids in schools that are publicly funded. So that would include charter, public, francophone, um, private schools that receive public funding. Um, and, And so Stephen Mandel announced that. And tidbit on Stephen Mandel also this week. Oh, yeah. He's now allowed to run in the election. <laughs> so that court case came back as good news for the Alberta party. I think that's why they're finally announcing policy. Now that they've dealt now with all of their candidates, yeah. who they can run, they can start announcing yeah. policy. Yeah. Yeah. And then Jason Kenney also had a uh, some sort of announcement or, or leaked to somebody uh, his plans on income taxes as well, right? So, Oh, yeah, of course. So basically, the UCP supported going back to a flat tax. Um, and Jason Kenney um, said, actually, we're not going to do that. We can't afford to do that because the NDP have just left the books in such horrific shape. We can't afford it. So we're not going to do that just yet, was another thing. So that was kind of a policy that something that isn't going to be a policy. (laughs) Yeah. And I think it's, you know, we're starting to see their platform come together. There's a long list of policies like from immigration to the carbon tax to domestic violence violence support. So yeah, there's a, yeah, really interesting. We're starting to see it come together. Still waiting on some NDP platform promises, but we'll have to see what happens. But literally nothing. Okay, Dave, you look just ready to jump right in. Do I? Um, (laughs) I mean, it's good to see the the UCP coming out with as much policy as they are. One of the things that they were being criticized for um, was that, well, what do you stand for? Um, and by not releasing policy previously, that they were opening themselves up to potentially unfair criticism of, of what they may or may not do. And the NDP has been uh, keen to jump on any little nuggets that have come out to turn around and, and try and twist those into the UCP is going to ruin Alberta and cut all things that you hold dear. Um, so I think that we were kind of in the position where we needed the UCP to release policy and and whether you agree with the policy or not, at least it's there for, for you to view. And now we wait what the government plans to do in their proposed second term. The UCP have said, of course, that they don't want, well, Jason Kenney has said he doesn't want to consult before things are brought in. They want to develop policy um, and, and kind of develop these laws before the election so that when they come in, they can just go and execute 100 days of change, I believe is what he's uh, calling that now. So it's almost like the consultation period is now um, and then the ultimate decision will be made at the ballot box, I guess, is kind of UCP's reasoning here because they really are running the, running the gamut when it comes to policies. And we already know, I think, what their first three bills are and that they plan to bring in as quickly as possible, it sounds like, potentially in a summer session. Should they win, yeah. Um, Keith, was there anything in here that surprised you that they've brought out on bail this week? I don't Any know. party, Alberta Party, UCP. Yeah, I mean, the Alberta Party coming out with this idea of mandatory vaccinations, I think, is an interesting idea. I actually agree with the idea. Um, I'm, I'm 
a little surprised maybe the other parties have uh, been a bit more conservative on on going that route because we are seeing some measles outbreaks around the world that are quite concerning. Uh, the UCP is, I, I, Claire can maybe confirm that, that, I don't think they're planning any changes to towards a, a mandatory vaccination program for schools. No, and yeah, they, both the UCP and the NDP have said that kind of um, in their own ways. They've said that persuasion and education is kind of the best way to approach it, whereas right. they now they can... Uh, they can get information on what children aren't vaccinated at school, and so there, the NDP's approach has, which the UCP supported, was to, um, you know, get in touch with those parents and then try to educate them about why kids need vaccinations. But it definitely doesn't go as far as mandatory vaccinations for kids at school. Yeah, I think those half measures have been tried and not worked out very well. Um, so I, it does. It looks to me like we we probably do need to get more aggressive with that vaccination program. The the NDP's line to you, I think, in your story was we don't want to punish kids for the mistakes of their parents, right? And so we should still let them go to school. And my response to that is, well, you're punishing them anyway if you're letting them go to school and putting them at risk of getting measles, right, with with kids that that may bring it in. The NDP has also got this program where they can now, if an outbreak occurs, they can check very quickly someone's vaccination history, a kid's vaccination history, and get those kids out of the school. Problem is with measles, it is like the most contagious disease ever. And so if a kid walks in there who's contagious, the damage is already done. It doesn't matter at that point whether you're checking kids' vaccination history or not. So I I, I like this I, I, policy from the Alberta Party. It's the kind of thing that they're going to need to do to get some attention, to be a little more aggressive, a little more inventive than than their competitors. And so to me, that was, that was the most interesting one of the week. And I would just say as well, like it's important to note that this is a huge issue in Alberta because we have lower than desired uh, vaccination rates. Like I think the threshold is that you want people to have 97% vaccination for herd immunity. And they and in Alberta, we're seeing, um, I think it was like 87 or 89% for measles, depending on whether it's the first or second shot. And, you know, in BC, we have the outbreak where last uh, yesterday, they said that they had their 17th case in Metro Vancouver. So this is an issue that obviously, whatever policies are in place right now might not be enough to uh, prevent these types of outbreaks. And I'll give Mandel credit for announcing this policy, this mandatory vaccinations. Like Keith, I agree. I think it's a, a good policy, save for a medical exemption. Um, but at the end of the day, when you're, this election is going to be about the economy and jobs. It's like people are not going to be casting a vote for the Alberta party because of the vaccine policy. And, you know, they're going to have to do a lot more to get a lot of attention, but I will give them credit for doing something different right now to insert themselves into the conversation, but they're going to have to do a lot more. And it was a good piece of news for them, I think, to have this after the last two weeks. Of yes, <laughs> yeah, something, something proactive. I, I mean, maybe the biggest announcement from from the week is is Jason Kenney's plans on the corporate tax. That is probably the biggest one, right? And he held it in a news conference in Calgary in an empty office building, right, um, to demonstrate how the economy has been has been battered there in Calgary. But that's a I think he's proudly said that's going to be the biggest corporate tax cut in in recent memory, maybe in Canadian history, to go from 12% to 8%. I'm not sure that's going to go over as well as he thinks it does. It might go over somewhat well in the corporate sector in Calgary. And we have to remember the NDP raised the tax from 10% to 12%. So it's it's coming back down to where pre-NDP levels and then another 2% over that. But that's a major, major uh, decrease. And I'm not sure that people love the idea uh, 
of corporations not paying their fair share. That may not be the winner that Jason Kenney thinks it is. As an aside, the Saskatchewan, um, they did the same thing. They cut their corporate tax rate from like 12 down to I think 11 or 11.5%. But then they raised it again because the economy is basically in the shitter and they need the money to try and do something to even go close to balancing the budget. So I'm interested to see how this plays out. Jason Kenney says it will create 55,000 jobs because of the magic of trickle-down economics. Yeah, but in Saskatchewan, they had to reverse that very same policy. And the NDP is arguing that, obviously, you know, uh, cutting the corporate tax won't actually draw new investment because they said Alberta already has a tax advantage for corporations that want to set up shop here. So definitely seeing completely polarized views on this. The one interesting thing that I, I found out all this was that two prominent economists in Alberta who are not normally kind to Jason Kenney both came out and said, oh, yeah, no, this is good policy. Both Andrew Leach and Trevor Toome said on on face value, it's not a bad thing to do. And and Trevor Toome even said, yeah, you know, it could very well achieve that 50,000 jobs target. Whether or not it does is, you know, once in practice, it could be entirely wrong, but the projections are there. So we'll see how that, again, we'll see how it plays out should they win uh, in the spring. Yeah. And I mean, there's so much here that we could that we could talk about. We, but I do think we have to move on. It's we every week, be. just so many policies. So read our stories <laughs> to get a better idea. I want to just finally... Uh, this was I a fun talk one. About I'm so excited to talk about this. The weirdest <laughs> thing I've seen in Alberta politics in quite some time, which is saying something because Alberta politics is a yeah. God bless it and all of that it does. It is a weird, weird place. Yeah. In fact, my friend in Saskatchewan, uh, Alex McPherson, who covers politics out there, his tweet was, in response to what we're about to talk about, his tweet was, Whenever I think politics is weird in Saskatchewan, I remember Alberta exists. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) What happened here was that UCP staffers took a video of Jeremy Nollis, who works in the Premier's office, walking out of a door. And then Prab Gill, of course, ousted UCP MLA, now an independent MLA, walking out of the same door apparently 10 minutes later, and it was put into black and white. Slow motion. Slow motion. Yeah. Made to look like security footage. Very yeah. ominous. Which Very ominous. People up to no good. <laughs> it was almost like someone was hiding behind a pot plant and just kind of filming it. But what they're actually doing was was kind of behind, and you can see it in the Prab Gill section, they're behind a glass, like, partition-y type thing. And I love that Prab Gill waves. Prab Gill waves to them. <laughs> Yeah. It is so weird. So Clancy, you wrote a story about this. I was off. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Tell us more. But watching it because it was so entertaining to see the very swift response on Twitter that this video got. Um, <laughs> there was a lot of accusation that this was very low and creepy. And, um, you know, just why would you it's post this on Twitter? It was the video. It's important to know was posted from the Twitter account of J- Jason Kenney's office. Yeah. Sorry. Forgot to point that and, out. United Alberta. Yeah. United Alberta. Um, and so that, you know, garnered some criticism. Uh, the UCP's argument is that there's a collaboration happening between Prob Gill and uh, the premier's office to attack Jason Kenney. There's no evidence that we know of that this is happening. Um, Prob Gill said the meeting was about uh, talking about a school in his constituency that is in deteriorating condition. I asked Jason Kenney about this video at a news conference um, the day after it happened because it was getting such a crazy response. And, uh, you know, Kenney kind of doubled down on the idea that Prob Gill is coordinating, coordinating attacks and said, um, 
you know, this is, I hate the word collusion, but it, this is what kind of the narrative is, is that they're uh, collaborating together to coordinate attacks on Jason Kenney. And this is what the UCP is kind of shopping around as, as their response. What's really interesting is that then we find out that the UCP sent Prov Gill a cease and desist letter about a different matter um, following his complaint to the RCMP about allegations of voter fraud in the UCP uh, leadership race in 2017. So, just a crazy week between Probgill and the UCP, his former party. And that video is just so weird. <laughs> it is weird. And, and then, I don't know what else to say about it. And then yesterday, the speaker, Robert uh, oh, Wanner, right. yeah. he sent a memo to all MLAs and staffers saying that concerns have been raised and they have been raised in the past about this kind of thing. And it's unbecoming of the House. It's below the dignity of the House to do this. That and was so great. Basically wrapped, yeah. <laughs> wrapped them over the knuckles. Don't videotape people without their consent, he said. Yeah, it's maybe just unbecoming. Con- maybe that consent <laughs> stuff in the uh, new curriculum is a good thing. Um, and then Brian Mason, uh, long-time NDP MLA, now retiring and currently not giving much care in the world about what he's doing. He came down to the press gallery and said, hey, is anyone writing about this? Because I've got thoughts. I'm like, of course you have opinions, Minister. (laughs) (laughs) So he basically said that this just proves that anyone who um, gets on Jason Kenney's bad side is now under surveillance and um, there are rules against this kind of thing. And it means if you're filming an MLA's office door, it means they can't do their jobs and that is going to block democracy. Dave. It's an it's you not <laughs> it's not a good look for the UCP. It just looks creepy and especially when you take that video in the context of the complaint Prab Gill made to the RCMP and then the decease and desist letter apparently um one can't file a complaint with the RCMP without being accused of defamation. Like, Apparently, I, yeah. Like, <laughs> it's just... The, the, <laughs> I, I do also think it's important to point out that Jason Kenney is the one who constantly has been saying, let's not make this election about personal attacks. Let's, let's be civil. Respect, and I just think yeah. that what that and line okay was in my head. filming people. Yeah, and that's what I was hearing in my head when I watched that video. And but, I still don't get why they made it black why just why make it look like security footage it just makes it look that much it it makes it look as tacky as the truth about jason kenny website from the ndp it's just like which is also terrible yeah, just, yeah. no i know he, it's sort of each party is trying to outdo each other in terms of lowering the bar here but <laughs> yeah. um it's uh it's a, it's a little nuts but i mean the come video on Alberta party uh, get, uh, it get it on the, the, yeah. the yeah. join the race on, to the bottom uh, come on yeah. yeah when you go low we go even lower um, <laughs> So, uh, yeah, the video was creepy. It was weird. But it also makes the UCP look scared. They look scared of Prab Gill at this point. Let's remember who Prab Gill is, right? Ousted MLA, right, for ballot stuffing allegations in in his riding. But since then, he's been a real thorn in the side of that party. He's come up with these allegations that Jason Kenney and Jeff Calloway during that leadership campaign in 2017 were collaborating to smear Brian Jean. Both, Both of those leaders deny it. Uh, We haven't really heard from Brian Jean about it, but he has continued to raise these allegations. He's raised allegations that Jeff Calloway's uh, campaign was improperly funded. And there does seem to be now some substantiation of that from the elections commissioner, at least to a small degree, um, because members of of that Calloway campaign have now been fined. 
Uh, and one one of those members of the the Callaway campaign, the party, the UCP party, uh, has actually dismissed as well over potential allegations that there was some improper funding as well. So that was a candidate, uh, uh, Randy Kerr in Calgary, Beddington. The party just released him this week, and he's no longer a candidate because of what he may or may not have done during that Callaway campaign. So Prab Gill is continuing to feed this narrative that seems to be growing that there was some impropriety with that Jeff Calloway campaign. And this is a real thorn in the side for the party. But instead of just kind of downplaying it, dismissing it, the fact that they are filming his office, the fact that they are sending him a cease and desist letter, this makes them look scared. It doesn't make them look uh, nonchalant about it. It makes them look like this is a serious problem for them. So I'm not sure that they are actually playing this in a way that is helping their cause. Yeah. Yeah. Prob Gill was just like, this is the weirdest thing I've seen in Alberta politics. Yeah. When I talked to him, he said, this is insane. Like, this is crazy. <laughs> yep. And it is. I just, I think it's. And, I, I and let me remind you, the election has not yet been called. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Isn't that a scary thought? I know, right? Okay, let's move on to our regular segment Good Stuff from the Gallery, in which we recommend things we have read or seen or listened to lately that you might also enjoy, dear listeners. Glad you want to kick us off, mate. Sure, yeah. I'm going to recommend uh, a little short essay. Ooh. Ooh, yeah, not a podcast not a this podcast. week. Uh, just given the uh, Alberta Party policy announcement on, um, on vaccinations, I just want to recommend recommend a letter or a letter that Roald Dahl wrote about his daughter Olivia who died at age 12 I think of measles in 1962 and it's just a really wonderful um, essay basically talking about the dangers of anti-vaxxers and um, you know the anti-vaccination movement has been named this year for the first time by the World Health Organization as a as a top threat to public health across the world Um, and this essay just brings home the fact that this has been an issue for decades it's very personal and um, yeah, just I think raises a lot of really important points. Nice. Keith? Yeah, I'm going to recommend a piece in The New Yorker called The Making of the Fox News White House. Uh, so, oh, that's a good piece. It's a very good piece. So obviously, it's no surprise that Fox News and Donald Trump have been rather close. He's he's the, That's the network that he prefers. But this piece gets into uh, how much that relationship has now become almost a dependent relationship and how, how much Fox News has actually insinuated itself into the White House or been invited in by the Trump administration to the White House. Um, it actually starts out with a very interesting opening scene of Sean Hannity um, being at a Trump news conference well ahead of any of the other reporters past the security uh, before anybody else was there, shaking hands and hugging people of the of the Trump administration. Um, disturbing is, is the way I'd put it, but very interesting. I'm going to recommend a piece um, from Bloomberg, uh, The Economic Pressures Behind the Latest India-Pakistan Clash. It's a really good primer on what is happening there right now. Of course, um, there was a a suicide bomber went and um, blew himself up in Kashmir, I suppose, killed, I think, 40 Indian troops. India responded by shooting down some planes in Pakistan uh, and basically... It has kicked off. I was just in India and um, was reading up on the history of this while I was there and then this happened. So anyway, it's just a really good primer, as I said, on what's behind what's happening there right now, but more importantly, the economic implications of it all. Dave, take us home. I'm going to recommend a podcast episode. Um, the great podcast called Criminal, hosted by Phoebe Judge. Um, her most recent episode kind of updates a story that made the rounds last summer. The the story the original story is from Gizmodo when it was called When a Stranger Decides to Destroy Your Life. 
Um, and Phoebe oh, Judge yeah. has done an update. This is about an Alabama real estate agent who had her career essentially ruined by an anonymous uh person on the internet who after they had a disagreement in a facebook comment section about a teen who took a selfie at auschwitz they had a disagreement in the comments this stranger created a fake post on a site that basically called her homewrecker and this fake she created this fake wife who came in and saw this real estate agent having sex with her husband in this home they were viewing and then that got picked up all the, by all these other sites um and so it, it kind of catches up with where this story is at it's a good interview with the real estate agent and her husband it's a really good really good uh, listen. Yeah, that was a crazy story. Uh, guys, thank you so much for joining me to take us over the latest uh, week in Alberta politics. Claire Clancy, Keith Dryan, Dave Breckenridge and Janet French. We will be back again this time next week for more Press Gallery.